Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Welcome to another episode with uh, Noor al-Riyadh podcast. We're here in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Mohammed Islam from the Mo Show podcast. We have Jumana Ghoth, who's my co-host, and we have the artist, Mohammed Shono. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Very excited. So I think the first thing I'm going to ask you is how are you doing with us being so close to the opening and, um, you know, our nerves are all over the place and uh, challenges are rising, obstacles are coming up normally. How do you feel? I feel good. I'm uh, not nervous at all. <laughs> I'm not nervous at all. <laughs> I'm not nervous. I, I think, uh, you know, I feel like I've been here before. Yeah. And uh, kind of actually doing smaller work, like ink on paperwork, has become more nerve-wracking than doing these bigger projects. I don't know why. Mm. Can't explain it. Is it because of the labor? I think, I think you're more faced with your ideas when you're alone and yeah. doing something intimate versus when you're, you know, you can kind of mask things around a big production, a lot of faces, people contributing. It's, it is reassuring actually to work with people. I think, I think we tend to like also avoid being left alone with our thoughts because it's, mm. it's, you really need to confront who you are as a human being mm. when you do that. Uh, and maybe that's what I'm doing. I've been avoiding what I really want to work on uh, on a smaller scale. Maybe that's why I'm, I'm feeling very confident. That's amazing. Actually, that's a good point. You mentioned something that I really want to talk about. And I think you, I mean, you started as an artist who mostly worked on, I'm going to say mostly. Comics. But yeah, so you worked with um would you say a comic style? I mean, how do you... How I was you... hugely influenced by comics. Who was, your, who was your favorite one? The biggest influence on me was Todd McFarlane, Spawn. Spawn, I remember Spawn. Spawn. I we, had, we had this conversation. He used I to remember. do Spider-Man, the amazing... Spider yeah, 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 yeah. And he really revolutionized that kind of dynamic movement. Uh, it was... Uh, I remember, like, a friend smuggled uh, a series of The Amazing Spider-Man versus The Lizard. Mm. And I was I was hyperventilating as I was going through these 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 comics. And back then, of course, it was very difficult to get a comic. Uh, yeah. Things were censored. It was a kind of limited yeah. uh, selection of, of of things, and you know we had to deal with pages missing or just ink on. How long ago was this? Do we need to get into this? I, I'm not going to ask you about your age. I just asked how long ago. <laughs> Why well, gotta do it like this? <laughs> It was it was long enough. It okay. was any the eighties, the nineties. Yeah. You know, it was you were like scrounging for for culture, for pop culture, for yeah. for information. Can we just stay on comics, book, comic books for a second? Yeah. There's something that I want to like. Yeah. R I'm shocked by a fact that I just found out. Yeah. I knew I always knew the comic books. They they go for a pretty penny. Mm. If I was to guess what was the most expensive comic book ever, I would have book just a just like a magazine. Mm. I would have put it at seven or eight hundred thousand dollars like just to really go off the scales like the most expensive one ever i was really really off what do you think the most expensive comic book is ever three sold point something million three point something million what's that something which currency eight? dollars us uh, dollars dollars yeah what dollars yeah what three point i do have to be very specific yeah because you're really close three I mean, point eight three did you get it three point six okay how do you know that? Like, no, I totally of... guessed it. I don't know. 
Can you believe 3.6 for a comic book? That's a lot. Do you remember what it was? No, I'm looking at it right here. It could be the first uh, it, uh, Superman. You know, appearance. Superman? Auction is the debut Spider-Man, the right. web saying the Edged teenage hero. Edged out Superman. Because Spider-Man is more popular now. Yeah. The movies. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know that they all started as comic books? Yeah, I did. Of course. I, I mean, yeah. that's something that I only recently <laughs> knew. I didn't know that Spider-Man and I think Superman and maybe and Batman, they were all comic books. Yeah, of course. Before, before cartoons. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, so you started with that style. There's one thing I still I, like. I really recognize in your work. I mean, when you started off, you're saying you were inspired by, let's say, Spider-Man. The, and you never used to work with color. No, I mean. Uh, you still don't. I used to when I was a kid when I used to do comics. Yeah. But I think this drift towards the monochromatic black and white. Yeah. So I think my relationship with the monochromatic, the black. Uh, came as part of this kind of revisiting of my relationship with comics when I was younger. Mm. And remembering how the image, the word, would be redacted, mm. censored. And kind of realizing that that obsession with this new kind of collaboration between the original comic book mm. creator and the censorship person who was adding to this book I was consuming something. I don't know where the black should have been or shouldn't have been. Maybe it was the intent of the original comic book creator. Mm. So it was an interesting hybrid that I was experiencing. A thing that I wanted to express, but at the same time was being restricted. Mm. And realizing that that black was actually a highlight. It wasn't a limiting my ability to imagine. It actually was calling to me to imagine multiple scenarios that were now missing. Mm. So it actually strengthened and 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 uh, resulted in a more dynamic and fluid way of thinking about what could be removed actually is potentially everything mm. i mean you were actually one of the first um people who kind of helped me transition from the comic book space into an opportunity to exhibit ether mm. my first solo because you uh you know looked at my work and you know we, we managed to get that mural going and the staircase mm. and and I, I realized doing the mural that I existed in transitional spaces always. And I was hoping for the VIPs to like flow from gallery one to gallery two. And I think there was an Ayman Yusri Doban retrospective happening yeah. in the top floor. Funny enough, it was called Give Me the Light. Give Me the Light. And wow, interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I, I see. I see what you did there. <laughs> I, I was hoping like all these curators and people I work with now and visit and, and um, want to listen about my work, we're just transitioning through the staircase. Mm. They were not interested in the unexpected in this moment of transition. And I thought it really was time for me to choose a category mm. and to transition from the staircase, transitional space, into the gallery space. But would you say that it was out of your comfort zone in a way? No, it was my comfort zone. It was, it was your existing zone. in this in-between mm. borders between this and that. When I used to do comics, I would take them to comic book shops and they would say, it's not really a comic book, it's an mm -hmm. art book. Yeah. And I would take the comic or the art book to the, com to the gallery space and, they would say it's a comic and they'd be book. like, it's a comic book. Yeah. So where do I belong? I go to a, a bookshop. Where would I want to put this thing? Nowhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It doesn't fit anywhere. Yeah. Um, so this personal like lack of categorization about identity and about uh, my work mm were a big part of this confusion 
early on growing up. But it's still a big part of your practice now, right? Yeah. You haven't completely. But I've come to grips door. with it. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm wielding it now with more intent. Yeah. Rather than it pushing me in ways I didn't understand. Yeah. And now I think you react more. I mean, you were very limited as to your, you know, you had a whether it was a a piece of paper or a certain canvas or you were always very limited with size, I guess, in the beginning. But now suddenly you're taking over buildings and large spaces and instead adapting to that space. Mm. So I really want to talk about the work that you're obviously doing for Nura Riyadh. Um, I think they would love to hear more about it from you. Um, but I think let's talk about the building a little bit. Why did you select that particular building? I think the building was um, kind of spoke to us. Yeah. And we didn't have, let's say, a limited selection. Yeah. Um, but I did want something that was very much embedded within the urban fabric of the city. Mm. And, uh, you know, also this uh, desire to move out of the white gallery space. Because it is, in the beginning, I thought it was very forgiving and limitless, but it was actually uh, exists within a specific bubble. And people are experiencing the work with certain expectations that I'm stepping into mm. a gallery or an exhibition space mm. or an installation. And thus your mind is prompted or prepped in a way that is unproductive and stimulating and disrupting the lived world. It's almost like guidelines, huh? Yeah, like you know what you're stepping into. It's no longer surprising. Now you're behaving differently. You need to look like you're intelligent. You want to read this stuff, but you don't want to read the concept. And, and it's just a very awkward experience to experience work in a gallery. Um, but if you stumble on something in the middle of a, an alleyway, mm. much like a much like a, a superhero who's like uh, w waiting dormant to take you on an adventure, mm. waiting for you, that disrupts your everyday life and allows you to activate the imagination, mm. which is what I want. Let's talk a little bit about the work itself. Um, first of all, let's mention the title. The title is "I See You Brightest in the Dark." And Love it. it's a very, you're definitely going, you're, you're, you're taking people through the process. Yeah. Of the, I mean, it's, it's very transitional. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that. And, and what made you, was it the space that dictated the concept to you in a way? Not dictate, I, I mean, maybe that's a strong word to use, but. Facilitated. Facilitated the work. Or was it just an idea that you always wanted to execute and th that space happened to be? It's like linking literally threads of ideas and intentions and what the spaces looks like mm. and, and making a sense of it. But it does come from a very personal like experience of uh, someone who was very close to me, who I knew was sick and I was living in, in Sydney at the time. And I had this kind of like visitation by this person at 3 a.m., middle of the dark, uh, middle of the night I wake up and there's this light and I can see this person's face and I find myself like sitting up in my bed kind of like calling their name and like reaching out into the into into the darkness towards this light and then snapping out of it and like just dumbfounded by what what, what just occurred and just going back to sleep mm -hmm. and then and then waking up at 7 a.m to go to work and realizing that I got a message from my father that person did pass away that time oh wow so it's about, the work is about what is your personal relationship with the intangible? Mm. What was something that was once uh, something you could hold 
physically that was now uh, translucent, elusive, uh, and ethereal like light. Mm. So it's taking you through this beautiful, loving attempt to weave back something that is now intangible into tangibility. Mm. Uh, and this toil and work it takes, though it is futile mm. and does not result in accessing the other place, but there's an attempt and taking people through this journey through different stages of this relationship with the intangible. Mm. So maybe just we... we Describe it. Describe it a little bit, but in a very, in your own, I mean, the process. I think people are more interested in, you have a very specific process. Mm. And, and taking over such a, such a large space in such a short period of time can be very taxing, but it's almost there. It's coming together and it's coming together beautifully. And it's definitely a challenge. And I think a lot of the young sort of emerging artists did actually ask me this, this question before about you and, and hence why we put your name forward for the apprenticeship because a lot of people I think want to go through, they're very fascinated by the way that you create your process. So, and you're very articulate in, in the way that you describe it. So let's let's just go through that a little bit and explain the work as, as you would, as if you're visiting yeah. in the process or in the transition that you would want people to go through. I mean, before I describe the work, I just want to tell you why this kind of work is easy. Mm. Because the childhood me, who was drawing characters when he was younger, would be told by teachers here to strike a line through the neck of your characters, because only God could create. That's something I mentioned in the first intro, remember, but I don't know. Now, as a child who was very reliant on that world for safety, for mm. deciphering the lived world, for um, also as a refuge, this was a violent assault mm. on this living world. Mm. And that kid chose to say no and continue to take the line not to strike lines through necks and <clears throat> limit the imagined world, but instead to allow the line to duplicate and multiply and take form and shape and move and tell stories. The work in El Milas, in Beit El Milas, is a single line of thread, mm. but we're wielding it in number, in repetition, with intention, and thus it becomes this act of taking a singular thing that can if, if used incorrectly, can bring things to a halt mm -hmm. and is insignificant mm -hmm. in its outcomes. Mm -hmm. Very significant, but a single thing can really derail uh, a journey. Yeah. So wielding that line, having faith in its repetition and its use and its manifestation is very important in the way I work. And, it, and it's labor intensive, but it is flow state. It is meditative. And it allows you to take that line and uh, allow it to create. Yeah, that's an amazing example of taking something that would be considered negative into something that, yeah. you know, you've, you've and it's an you've obsession. turned into. A, yeah. It's an obsession. It's you're, you're, yeah. you're constantly, every time you're doing work, you're saying yes, not no. Yeah. You're saying yes, yes, yes. Are you proud of how far we've come in that, in that sense? Like, I don't think they, they, they have those same limitations in it. In, in, in art courses or in, in art classes anymore in school. I remember going through that myself. Yeah. But I don't think that kids are going through it now. I mean, you have a five-year-old 
do they i mean do you see that in his in his art books do you i mean i see him come coming home with various pieces of art yeah but i think at that age it was probably similar to my years in kg over here yeah but where i really think barriers have been broken is is further up the ladder where you have a little bit more freedom mm. and there aren't as many barriers as they were when i left sixth grade here in 95 96 yeah it's more freedom um i would assume yeah now there is more freedom i mean don't you think that we we especially with the entire art movement and everything 100%. that we're doing and all the support that it's we're receiving from all these government entities mandated and, i think uh, through yeah, ministry I of education now, yeah yeah now we have backup and or else you wouldn't have something that's on the scale of nur riyadh uh you know be airborne right now mm. if it wasn't really from the ground up because i've worked with I mean, you know, several of the of the Saudi artists in this in this edition of Nur al-Riyadh. Um, when we were going through the curatorial process, honestly, there were there were very little limitations. I mean, unless something is directly disrespectful to somebody or an entity or a body of some sort, which rarely happened, to be honest. Um, I didn't see any. I don't experience uh, any of that kind of. But I think my generation of artists, um, we do uh, impose self-censorship. Yeah. Because we're still also trying to figure out where that barrier is. Yeah. And um, so far, I haven't experienced it. Yeah. But I also think it's almost, un, un, it's like an unspoken rule. Like we all know where our limits are as, yeah, you know, as Saudis, as citizens. I think we all know what the red lines are. And it's very clear, even though it wasn't the case years ago. But somehow we know how we can feel how free things have you know how how, how yeah. limitless well not completely limitless but i mean it's nice to have some some borders to work through but um i think we've definitely come a long way it's definitely not what we i mean limitations are e extremely valuable i agree you know what i mean like nothing is worse than having a limitless i agree uh thing you need to, you need to say i'm not gonna i'm, I'm not gonna do this yeah. i'm not gonna i'm gonna quit my job yeah. i'm not gonna uh you know uh, allow someone to say yes or no yeah. i'm gonna make my own decisions so you, you you give your reasons and your whys to yourself and then you work within that and uh, you know the work in venice was a manifestation of this creative resistance mm. this uh uh you know my my who i am today in my existence and my energy and my work is a result of the restrictions made more stronger mm. made more focused because of them but don't you think that's that's what the saudi art scene is yes it was it was it stemmed from these limitations and i think that's why these limitations <laughs> are incredibly valuable and that's where we're incredibly abstract very conceptual yes, absolutely. we didn't we had to avoid the figurative absolutely um and i'm curious to see what the next generation is going to able to I, I want this very robust and culturally strong uh, form of expression mm. that, you know, the opening up of limitations and all the support doesn't weaken, mm. uh, you know, the, the output, let's say, or the concepts or the, the ability to work and make. Yeah, I think that's why limitations, as you said, are incredibly important because they challenge. And they, if, if there are no limitations, you must impose them like self-impose them on yourself mm. yeah which I is agree. which is uh, tricky in its own i think tricky it's uh yeah. <laughs> setting your own uh uh hurdles yeah it's important 
it's almost like you prefer someone to set them for you. Yeah. This way, I don't want one less thing to think about. It's easier to follow when someone else. Yeah. The, you know, the cones are here. This yeah. is where you play. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but seek challenges. Like if, if things are going smoothly, you know, it's, it's a cliche, but really mm. get out of your comfort zone because mm. then you'll learn something about yourself. 100%. Um, when you, when you were, fine, I mean, accepted at Venice, um, were you nervous at all? No, no, I thought, I thought it was, I, I found it boring. <laughs> and it was like, a, I used to do Comic Cons. So Venice mm. was like a Comic Con, but it was a bigger room, more budget, more wealthy people coming in and out. Mm. But everybody had a table, everybody was showing their work. And somebody, somebody got more attention, somebody got less attention. But I realized that Venice was very political as well. Mm. And we have a, you know, we have a long way to go as a Saudi art scene to earn credit because we're easily dismissed before we're even engaged with. True. What would you do to change that, though? Just, you know, in the end, your work, your toil, your 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 character wins the day. Mm. Um, numbers as well, strength huh? in numbers. Artists, getting artists out there. More artists, more kind of um, not not resting. You know, like support and funding is valuable. It is, a, as you say in, in Arabic, a thurwa, mm. that you need to invest in yourself and your mm. community. Mm. But um, it alone cannot create resilience or, or strength of ideas and outputs. Um, so, so any raised eyebrows in Venice that, uh, oh, you're from Saudi Arabia. Interesting. Let's see what you have. Absolutely. Here. Absolutely. And I think we're, we're also struggling with market value as an artist because you're dismissed you know if you want to collect saudi art maybe a lot of art maybe a lot of collectors in the west um are more interested in things that are more fetishized cliches things they can say this is clearly from saudi so when you produce work that is unrecognizable has no identity or nationality it's just a form of expression mm. and but that's not interesting Mm. You know, how are you going to tell your, your rich friends that I bought this work that looks like it could be from anywhere in the world? You know, it's not interesting enough. And, and the question is, why are we seeking that kind of validation and, and acquisition um, versus maybe self-generating an acquisition market and a value that is here that is sought after rather than us seeking uh, to be collected overseas? Yeah. Absolutely. Do you think an event of the size of Noor Riyadh has the art world raising their eyebrows saying, oh, look what Saudi are doing now. They're not only creating artists, but they're putting together a huge scale light art show. Is that something that's creating waves internationally? I think it's chipping away at, at uh, stereotypes, mm. editorial headlines about who we are, which we need to reclaim, you know, telling our own stories. I think it's it's definitely doing things. It's allowing people to come and meet and talk, which is so valuable, I think, you know, like this discussion here. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I was saying, Mo, how, you know, artists all over the world, even in, in, in an international level and a global level, really struggle with getting their work to be in a public realm. So the fact that, you know, we have a government that is, you know, develop an establishment that actually, um, you know, is securing very, very large, very generous budgets for this festival in order to create, yeah. you know, an X number of, of public 
uh, sculptures around Riyadh is amazing. It's a privilege. It's, it's a privilege. Uh, you know, never did we dream that we'd be yeah. in the situation. Yeah. And it's crazy. Um, but also seeing myself wanting to be here to establish a studio to mm. and, and, and bring people back and seeing people moving here and, and, and deciding to make uh, Saudi a creative home for them is very exciting. Yeah. yeah. You guys talk about the art scene that, you know, it's all coming back here. Look what's happening. Vision 20 Arts. Um, tomorrow, by coincidence, I'm going to Saudi Arabia's first podcasting exhibition. There is a podcasting exhibition, not to you know, not to switch the, but you know, under the umbrella of Vision 2030, they were mandated to do something for the podcasting industry, which is something just you know it's new in yeah. you know compared to all other mediums. I love that. Two thousand people expected at Kaft, you know, one of the you know the, the more glitzy areas of town. A lot of the podcasters from the region, some of the biggest names, they're coming through. Uh, Mark, you know, people who want to invest in the space, enter the space. Minister of Tourism is, is is coming through, and some other. So you know they're they're doing something for that, and that's just one of many, uh, you know, things that are happening in the space for artists and content creators alike. And creatives, yeah. Absolutely. Creatives, yeah. But even like going to a cafe and seeing young boys and girls on their yeah. laptops, yeah. reading books, coming up with like, like talking about new projects or businesses they want to start, and just like. That's something me growing up, I never saw. Didn't exist five Not years ago. I, yeah. I wouldn't even I wouldn't even go back to as recent as when you were young. Yeah. I would go back as recent as five years. I think everybody changed privately in their bedrooms. <laughs> and then once the walls around the bedroom opened up and the mind was it's allowed like, oh, to. You too. Yeah. So this kind of collective rising is, is important. You said something about wanting to get into artist residencies or something like that. Is that I've opened a uh, studio residence, mm -hmm. so having in your house, in, in, a, your in a new home. in a new home. Um, are you financing this yourself? So um, some of the artists are there uh, full time as as tenants, mm -hmm. and then we have spare rooms. So if there's a project and we instead of you know budgeting accommodation for them to be in a hotel, they can it it's, it just covers you know the it pays itself. Pay, it pays for itself, basically. Okay. okay. Um, but it's so essential to have this kind of accessibility and sense of community mm -hmm. for cross-collaboration, for exchange of skills and ideas. It's very essential. Yeah. Uh, because we need to accelerate our investment in the person. Mm. Because the creative scene is small and limited. It's, you know, we're, we're stretched thin. There's not a lot of us who have been doing this when it was not encouraged to do be creative or make film or uh, be a musician you know there are no spaces to exhibit we never used to meet each other it's unstoried we're just writing the story right now there's no there's no history yep at least not in the last 30. i love that car honking in the background i i, I have two questions I, and and i'm super cold eye perspective because I, i'm i'm learning a lot about the art world i'm not from the art world i don't know what world i'm from um you're from the podcasting world podcasting <laughs> Favorite art piece and the um, <clears throat> biggest challenge you've ever faced, let's say, in creating an art piece? Um, every, every project has its challenges. And, and, and the reality is that I like to really plan projects, but not know the outcome. 
So I like a, a method of working, but no blueprints. Mm. Even if they're big and, and architectural or structural, or we have a method of working, but really that final outcome like Desert X, the lost path, we discovered this very quiet cove where there's no, no um, reception on your phone and you can't hear a single thing. And we wanted that to be the ending of the path, of the, of the structure. And some chose to follow this path to the end and some didn't. Going there's a lot of, uh, yeah, I, I guess there's, there's a... A sculptural sketch it was. Yeah, but I mean, I guess you didn't move very far from what your inspiration was as a kid being Spider-Man. Spider-Man's weapon is like threads. Mm. And it still exists. To, I mean, everything Good that one. you do has threads. Like you just you, just lowered my value. No. <laughs> my, I think it's beautiful. My sellability. Just no, absolutely down. not. I mean, it looks very different. It feels very different. But your initial, I mean, I mean, I guess it's it's it's, it's, it's somehow yeah. you know in your in your subconscious mind. It, I mean, threads and lines are forever probably integrated. In and and process. the black void, you know, and this, the black void. It's like a well of limitless ink. Yeah. You know, it's either it obscures or from it you can read and create and draw and write and just infinite. But I think that's so important, although because you did move away from your initial uh, style of working uh, or practicing art, which was very, um, I want to say, I mean, comic inspired, mm -hmm. um, illustrative. slightly illustrative. Uh, and then you moved into incredibly conceptual and immersive and interactive. In a Funny way. story. I, I, I felt guilty about being an illustrator and, draw, and, and drawing characters twice in my life. When I was younger yeah. and I was told not to draw characters. Mm -hmm. And there was a guilt, like I'm going to go to hell. And, and the wow. second time was when I switched into the contemporary art scene. Because the very illustrative and the character was also considered... Mm not desirable you need to be more abstract you need to be more conceptual so i felt that twice yeah and i think you felt the pressure as well there was of, a pressure to abstract to adapt yeah, to what yeah. was happening in the art scene and, and i blame oh, you so. okay yeah that's fine <laughs> hey man look where you are now so i'm okay i'm who's okay with that now? yeah, yeah i'm okay now? with that i'll take the blame um but it's still what what inspired you when you were a child is still there yeah and you can still see it and I think that's so important. Mm -hmm. And that makes, I mean, you can definitely now see a piece. And I think that's what's important. Although you moved away um, from your illustrative work, your identity is very, very clear. I mean, I can see a work somewhere in the middle of nowhere and say, that's Mohana Chono. I can tell. And that's when you know. Amazing. Your identity is incredibly clear. And that's what you should be proud of. So no matter how much you 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 can... You, you drive away from 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 the initial work that you started off as with uh it's still you you haven't lost your identity yep. and that's very evident in everything that you do is is that something you're conscious of of trying to maintain your identity no i think um i think we all exist within cycles uh, of, of re repeated behavior that we can't really break some are really quite have a very long arc so it's hard to recognize some are like mistakes and things you do over and over again but we all have our same patterns we have our own and it's about becoming comfortable in your own skin and accepting your background and accepting your name and accepting your 
um, your circumstance, your obsessions, you know, mm-hmm. the things that made you insecure that you're trying to feed, that you're trying to silence, uh, or the things that kind of sparked your mind and, and you don't want that spark to end. Those things are the basic cycles of life that mm-hmm. we're, you know, both trapped in and, and, and free to express within. What makes you insecure? I, I think uh, this identity issue, categorization. Why all, the identity issue? A lot of people don't know your background. Why identity issue? Because I, I mean, I grew up as a, you know, like say, son of migrants to Saudi. So we're, uh, you know, we're not, as you call it, we're naturalized, magenicine. Mm. So this was a big question growing up, especially in Riyadh. Like, you know, where are you from originally? Like, where's your father from? Your name is in Saudi. So all these kinds of like, uh, maybe early on feeling like you didn't belong. So then you retreat to borders. You no longer want to engage with this landscape or that landscape. You're just kind of observing and navigating lines between spaces and things. Deep. Let's go deeper. <laughs> Let's make him uncomfortable. <laughs> no, I'm joking. That's <laughs> well my age. <laughs> <laughs> How old are you? No, it's not the same for a guy. It's like you own... Any, I have one. You said let's go deeper. And, yeah. Uh, any fears? Is there something that you, a line you won't cross, a piece you won't do, something that scares you in this field? No, not 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 so not not yet. Um, and there's always ways to express things, you know. Um, and I think we've become very good at saying things without saying things. Um, and it's kind of enjoyable uh, to, but ha- am I fearful of saying something that I want to say? No, no, I don't think so. And in terms of a piece, commissioning a piece or an art installation, you will really go wherever you want to go, wherever the mind will take you. Yeah. Unlimitedly. I'm sure there are limitations, but they're also part of the cycle. You've already been conditioned to exist within a certain, uh, sphere yeah of expression and this is what i was saying before about like self uh, redaction or self restriction on expression um maybe we've been trained to be careful but so far i feel like i'm well outside the boundaries of my comfort zone do you feel alive no (laughs) (laughs) i think the joy has been has been I think there's a reputation that I'm a bit of a machine in our scene, um, but it's almost like an addiction. Like you're 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 chasing the joy, and it's it's elusive when you've gone away from your personal relationship with your mind and your comic and your page and that story, that kind of creation, just by yourself, to now managing production of a space and teams and people and deadlines and that has become an unexpected kind of downfall in the process of creation. And I'm, but you, you know, you're never really satisfied as a human being. And being lost and confused about your work is very essential in order to be able to evolve it to the next stage. Am I finding joy in the work? The surprising answer is no, I'm not. But I understand it's a journey. Yeah. There is no, uh, you know, plot twist if you do not if you if you quit the journey okay and i'm waiting for that plot twist to reveal itself so you keep chipping away 
to to seek that that twist. That's really interesting. You have faith. You, you go on a journey. You change your life. You do something crazy. And that's the point. You want to read a good book. You don't want to know the ending of the story. If you knew the ending, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I would just sit down and Absolutely. just reread that ending over and over again. And I mean, the famous saying: "It's it's the journey, really. You know, not yes. the destination." And yeah, amazing. Well, thank you, Mohamed. Pleasure. I cannot wait. I want to go see it first to tomorrow. See, yeah. Me too. I, I want to see it first. <laughs> <laughs> um, we can't wait to see it come to life. I think it's already obviously has come to life. We're about to to see it, and we're so excited. And I'm sure everybody's going to be blown away. And um, how many stories is the building? Four. And they just said, "Do your work." No, I said. <laughs> 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 I'll do my work. <laughs> ah, I love it. I love it. Okay. So that's a wrap. Yeah, that's a wrap. Thank you again. Mandy. Thank you guys. Capsa's on the way. See you again. Capsa's <laughs> on the way. <laughs> Let's not say Capsa. Let's say something else because I feel like it's... it's. Uh... Yeah. It's that other podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no Capsa ever. <laughs> Thanks for your time, guys. Uh, can't wait to see the, the uh, art installation tomorrow and uh, the others that you're going to take us to. And um, we look forward to the main event. Thank you. Yes. Thanks, guys. Over and out.